Welcome in to a Saturday morning edition of the Locked On Knicks podcast. I'm Gavin Shaw, joined as always by Alex Wolf. Uh, no guests this time around. It's just us breaking down a 121-106 loss to the Indiana Pacers. And we're going to start that off with a general recap of this game. The Knicks were closer a little bit, and then they had their typical final couple minutes of the second quarter let down, and it all went downhill from there. Then next, we're going to talk about Emmanuel Moutier. He pulled kind of a Moutier, Boutier, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde act tonight. Who is he? Uh, we don't know. But in the first half, he was Boutier. Second half, he was Moutier. So we'll try to get to the bottom of that one. And then finally, we'll, we'll finish things up. Um, possible injuries to uh, Tim Hardaway and Damian Dotson. Obviously, both were reported to not have been serious. Um, the initial idea on Hardaway was that it was just a cramp, but he limped off. So we'll talk about it. And just the idea of resting him in general. All that and more next on Locked on Knicks. You are Locked On Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Knox foul from behind, counting at one. What he does is contagious like. To Trier. Trier drives down. You are Locked On Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast. Gavin Shaw, Alex Wolf here with you. The Knicks falling to the Indiana Pacers at home, 121 to 106. And I, I don't know, Alex, maybe you, you were a little bit more loyal than I was and watched this game on MSG. I, I enjoyed it on ESPN. And I, I'm, I will never take a shot at my guy Clyde because he is he's a hero of mine. I, I've been lucky enough to meet him. A couple of times, and he's a genuinely incredible human being. But I will say the the just the the change of pace with a little Breen Doris Burke action. Those two are just honestly probably my favorite play by play guy and my favorite color person in, in the world. So it was just it was just a joy of a broadcast from that perspective. And it almost in I and I think I, I don't know I'm not breaking news here that like the last couple of Knicks games have been hard to watch. I found this one very very palatable and just a, just an enjoyable listen, even though it wasn't always particularly competitive. Yeah, I actually, I didn't watch the MSG broadcast today either. I watched ESPN. I, don't, I forgot that, like, I mixed it up. I, I know that when they're on TNT, they don't do an MSG broadcast, and I totally forgot that they even still do an MSG broadcast well, on ESPN nights. I might, I will, I will say, I might be, I might have just assumed that they did, and maybe, maybe I was off, but I'm not. Uh, well, actually. at any rate, I went on ESPN, and I stuck on ESPN because I, I really, enjoy Mike Breen and Doris Burke as well. I thought they did a really good job calling the game. I like Doris Burke a lot uh, when she calls Knicks games because she's admitted a number of times that she is herself a Knicks fan. And you can hear it kind of shine through a little bit, despite the fact that she's usually like almost totally objective about things. But it's it's fun. It, they're, they're a really fun listen. It was it was definitely good for that. And it's kind of sad that we're already, you know, a couple minutes into this podcast and the most positive thing that we can really come away with <laughs> is uh, the commentary on ESPN because it really just wasn't that great of a game. It sort of followed the script, I felt like. You know, the Knicks, the Knicks seem to have a script laid out for losing games right now, and it's keep it close for most of the first half and then either 
either keep it close all the way through the first half or, you know, start to lose their footing right at the end of the first half and then the second half just get absolutely washed. And that was kind of the case again tonight. Yeah, and it's that late second quarter burst because it was the exact same thing against the Warriors. I think they they ripped off like a 10-0 run near the end. I think something similar happened either against L.A. or Portland. I can't quite remember. But in in this one, the Knicks were down by 13 early. They go on. They outscore the Pacers over a stretch 22-8. to and it was capped off by these back-to-back Hardaway threes. And I, I, I know, I've, I think I've, I brought this up before, but I'm always just, and it's such a testament to Knicks fans, I, I always get such a kick out of how loud the Garden gets just when anything good happens for the Knicks. It's, it's I mean, a testament to Knicks fans, and conversely, such an indictment on the Knicks as a franchise. Because they, they're, I mean, right now, like, what, like one of the two or three worst teams in the league. They're they're absolutely struggling in in this game against against the Pacers, who are a good team, but it's not like the Warriors. And and Hardaway hits these two threes, admittedly like good shots, and like any any crowd, you get some cheers. But Knicks fans, it's it's like you're watching Game Seven of a playoff game, and um, Kevin Knox just dunked on someone. <laughs> it's it just it's nuts how enthusiastic they got. And then of course immediately after that high, the Pacers just ripped their hearts out, like 12-0 run. To end the half, um, beautiful passing, a couple threes from Oladipo, and that was that was it. It was it was never close from that point forward. Yeah, yeah. To your point about the the Knicks fans always showing out during games, I I've got this like theory, I guess, about that. Uh, maybe it's not even a theory, but I, I think that that's the case. Just because when you're paying that much money, you have to root for a win while you're there. Like you can't realistically go there and be like rooting for the tank or whatever. Like if you're paying the money to go into the garden you're definitely rooting for a win and you're definitely cheering like your guts out for every little thing that happens because it's it's so much money to go to the garden it's just yeah. it's ridiculously expensive even during a losing season like this one you still can't get in the door for any less than like fifty dollars a head i think i think that's actually that that's a that's a good point because i in college and this is going to be a foreign concept to knicks fans and i might even Cover your ears if, if you're listening because you're, you're just going to be disgusted by this. But the Suns had a policy where if you were a student in a local college or, or high school, presumably, you can get in to games for $5. And I, I spent my whole life not being able to afford going to more than one or two Knicks games a year, which, which in New York basically means you're solidly middle class. Um, but, and, and then I just got to go to all these Suns games in college and I really could just actively just watch games and make fun of the Suns and not feel guilty about it because you're paying nothing to get in. So I, I'll, I'll give that theory a big endorsement. Um, let's, let's get into the game itself a little bit. Obviously we, we told you about that second half. Um, it, it was, it was mostly pretty ugly. Pacers got up by 21 pretty quickly. It was the exact same score actually, uh, after a big run in the Warriors games, 80 to 59 Indiana. And then from that point forward, it just, it just felt kind of over. Um, and we're going to get into Moutier next segment, but I want to start off on a couple of other positive notes. Uh, Noah Vonley was was excellent to start this game. He was he was really, really good. He scored, I think, eight points in the first seven minutes. He was attacking off the dribble. He had a couple threes. Only ended up playing 19 minutes because he kind of picked up a BS third foul um, with about eight minutes left in the second quarter and then just wasn't seen for a while. But th- this was one of the better performances I, I saw from him, even though it was in limited minutes, and then I thought I thought the overall energy of the team was pretty good in the first half, considering um, how many guys they were missing and their losing streak of late. Yeah, it was interesting because Vonley, I thought Vonley got a bad whistle 
all night and it was kind of annoying and you know it's one of those deals where obviously it, it probably wasn't going to affect the actual outcome of the game like the knicks were most likely going to lose this game from tip off but it still sucks to not be able to see you know easily one of your best players so far this season play most of the game just because he's getting you know these ticky tack fouls called on him but it is what it is. What I found interesting after Vonley had to get subbed out and Cornette also had to get subbed out because he had some early fouls, the Knicks were sort of forced to go small. And at points in the first half and even at times in the second half, it, it at first really didn't work for them because they were just getting totally outmuscled by especially Sabonis, who is just like a certified Nick killer at this point. Uh, I'm not sure what his final line was. Let me take a look. Yeah, 20, 20, 22 50, points and 15 yeah. boards. Yeah, that's that's quite a line. So, I mean, he he killed it uh, predictably because he's just that good, uh, especially against the Knicks. But um, in particular, he was he was really killing them right when they first had to start going kind of small, and then the Knicks sort of rejiggered things a little bit, and all of a sudden they were playing passing lanes tighter. And they were getting some steals. And that was what led to that run in the second quarter that sort of pulled them back into the game right before the Pacers, you know, kind of stomped that out with that uh, 12-0 run to end the half. But it was it was kind of interesting to see the Knicks forced to play small and having guys like Hazonia uh, actually, you know, play the lanes well and kind of play a decent small ball four role to a degree. Uh, although I still wasn't thrilled with his play for the night, but... It was, I don't know, it was just interesting to me at the risk of rambling any further. I, yeah. I found it to be interesting. He, he had five steals in this game, which is just nuts. I would have never guessed Mario Hazonia would ever have five steals. But he, he genuinely made a real impact defensively, which made up for the fact that offensively he was, he was um, frankly, Boutier-esque. He, um, I, I think at this point, every time he shoots, I'm, I'm shocked when it goes in because it just has the flattest trajectory. Like, I can't think of a guy who came into the NBA as as a quote-unquote scorer and stuck around who has a worse touch than him it's it just like everything like looks like so much less than natural but I guess I guess I wanted to start this off making a positive point about his defense and he was really good at that end and really proactive on that end and I thought the Knicks in general they they played with an effort and then at least during that burst and then the Pacers kind of broke it because they, they saw the Knicks were jumping these lanes. They were very quick to double team in the post. And this is an ongoing issue that we've touched on this podcast. But Cornette just gets toasted whenever he goes up against even incredible big. And Sabonis was just toying with him for most of the first half. And he didn't even really play much in the second because I think um, I, I think Fisdale realized it was just unpalatable and it, it wasn't really tenable to have Cornette guarding him. And it, they, they make this run and then it's like something like clicked with like Oladipo and to a lesser degree holiday. And, and they were just like, wait, if, if you're going to double every time, if we just keep making the extra pass or, or you just beat your guy off the dribble, eventually someone's going to be wide open. And, and I feel like the same revelation comes on teams at, at some point, almost every single time they play the Knicks, like if you keep moving it and you don't turn it over, you're going to get an open layup because eventually one of the Knicks younger guys or one of their old crummy defenders uh, just decides, like, makes a boneheaded play. And most often, it's 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 of good intent. It's it's the double team when someone needs help. But then you, you, you pass it around that, and you just end up with a layup time after time after time. So I don't know if Fizdale isn't coaching that well enough, or more likely these guys just aren't ready to understand NBA offense on the level you need to to play on a string and help out your teammates. But that, I don't know, that's kind of a constant frustration for me. Yeah, and and on the other side of things, I thought that Indiana's defense – 
they showed when they're engaged that they're like just impossible to get a shot off on because during that first that first quarter especially when the Knicks went down pretty big in that first quarter it was like the Pacers came out and it, right at the point of attack they were getting swarmed and that was part of I think what led to to the Boudier half uh, of the game was that you know even when Moutier would get it right across half court they were practically you know doubling him and they just the Knicks just I don't know I, I don't know what it was about them but they they couldn't figure out what to do about that you know the second that that help defense would come right towards the three-point line there they were just throwing the ball nowhere you know throwing it into traffic and you know not finding the open person that was resulting from that and it was it was just kind of horrific to watch like it really wasn't fun basketball to see but it was it was a testament to just how good the Pacers can be on defense this year like they're a pretty freaking good defense team uh, yeah. from what it seems like to me. No, I think, I think it comes down to the same thing on both ends of the floor and that's decision-making, but I, I, I want to get into that Moody, conversation. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk about the, um, I guess, two-sided butt of Emmanuel Moody. Is that a fair term? And, and we'll, we'll have a couple final notes on Knicks Pacers. Um, so that next unlocked on Knicks. And we're back and we're going to discuss Emmanuel Moody, AKA Emmanuel Boudier, as we've taken to calling him on here now. It's been kind of his popular Nick's Twitter nickname throughout this uh, this season when he's not playing well. But it was certainly a a Moutier Boudier type of game, and you got to see both in in the same game. In the first half, he was 0 for 4, had one assist, three turnovers, and he was a tied for team worst negative 15 in plus minus. And then the second half. He flipped the script and was eight for 14 for 21 points, two assists, one turnover and a minus three, which was among the better numbers for the Knicks in that second half. So I don't know, Gavin, I, I to me, it, it seemed like he just sort of flipped a switch and was, and I, I don't know if it was just that he became more aggressive in that second half or maybe the Pacers were just allowing more to him. But to me, it just it seemed like he was finding his spots a little better. He was getting to the 10, which was nice. Like, it's it's nice to see him actually get to the hoop, and he was finishing tonight, which is always a good sign. And just in general, I don't know, he, he came out with sort of a fire in that second half that he didn't seem to have in the first half, and it definitely benefited him, even if it didn't necessarily benefit the team as a whole. Yeah, he was he was 0 for 4 in the first, then came out um, and started off the second half, 13 points, 5 of 9 from the field, and that was just about like 8 or 9 minutes into the third quarter. Ends up hitting a couple threes down the stretch. But to, to me, the key with him is is always, and, and I get the fact that he, he's not that great around the bucket, 51% on the year. But you know what? That's a higher percentage than he's he's going to shoot, usually from from three, even when you adjust for the fact that a three-pointer is more valuable than a two. And it's, it's a way better percentage than he's ever going to shoot on mid-range jumpers. So I like the idea of him being consistently aggressive, using his physicality. And what, what he really showed off in this game was the ability to finish at odd angles and and I guess to sort of use patience and hesitation around the basket to his advantage because he he had this one drive on I can't remember who it was it was it was definitely a white guy it was either TJ Leaf or uh, an unfortunate uh, Doug McDermott but he he goes to the basket and he does what looks like a euro step but he kind of stops balances on the right foot realizes he's going to get blocked if he goes through with the move and then just reverses his right hand back across the body of his Caucasian defender, who again, whose name I'm forgetting, um, and just just lays it in, and it was it was this really good move. Mike Breen had a ooh, that was nice, and something like that, and it, it was just one of those moments where you're like, I'd like 
to see more of that. And obviously he doesn't necessarily have that intuitive touch you look for around the basket that someone like Kevin Knox just kind of naturally has in his game. But I, I think the more he attacks, the more he's physical, the more he gets to the free throw line, I, I think the, the more viable he is long-term as, as a starting point guard in this league. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if he's for sure going to ever settle in on a team, Knicks or otherwise, as like a long-term starting point guard. I think perhaps his best role in his career is going to be as a, as a six-man, uh, just for his ability to find, you know, the find his way as far as scoring the basketball, I guess would be the thing. Cause he, he definitely, he has his moments where he's above average as a distributor, but I don't think he's a natural distributor. Like that's not what he looks for first. I think he's sort of, if you look at him, he's almost like when he plays well, like he did tonight, he's almost like an idealized version of what you would want Trey Burke to be. If Trey Burke had, you know, an extra few inches of height and some real size and, you know, generally just better basketball abilities, especially as it pertains to, you know, breaking down the defense, getting to the hoop, that sort of thing. So I don't know. I, I, I'm still torn. You know, we keep seeing these, you know, these up and down performances from Moutier, and I'm really torn about what I want the Knicks to do with him long term. But the more I see of him, the more I'm thinking, like, I think I would like to keep him after this year, but not necessarily as the starting point guard of the future, like you had said. Maybe just as someone, hopefully, that you have someone good enough at the point guard that you can have Moutier be like that first guy off the bench. But that's just me. Right. No, I, I guess I guess I want to clarify what I said a little bit. Like, I don't see him by any means as a, as a sure thing. And certainly on this Knicks team, like I would I'd be I'd kind of be disappointed if he was there. Long term guy, I guess I guess what I meant was for him to have even the inkling of that potential, like his game has to be based around getting to the basket. Because there, there is certainly and I think I think you hit the term uh, you, you hit it uh, the nail on the head by saying he's not necessarily a natural distributor because there is kind of this mechanical quality to his game and that's always been kind of my biggest issue with him and why I never really had high hopes for him and like I think this year is is the closest you're seeing um to him being fluid on the court to some degree but there's still something missing there to a point and and I kind of want to take that um in, in a different direction and say a guy who is kind of consistently fluid and very natural uh finally had a breakout game and that's Damian Dotson 15 points Six rebounds, four assists, four seven from the field, three of five from three, perfect four of four from the line. Um, he he was he was great during that kind of stretch run they had where where they went on that burst in the second quarter. And I know it's it's kind of ridiculous to fixate on that in a game that the Knicks lost by fifteen. But if if you'll hear me out here, I, I just thought he really energized them with his rebounding. Like you, you see so often, like especially like on a bad team in like a middle of a blowout, like those like lifeless like. Oh, I'll like, I'll wait for the ball to come down. Like he was just jumping up and like ripping the ball out of there. And it seems like this like non thing, but I, I kind of think that like it, it was symbolic of, of the energy they were playing with. And maybe it, it actually was what energized the guys. Like he, he just had this extra verve. I haven't seen from him the last couple of games. And it might've just been because he was shooting well and feeling a little bit better about himself. But I, I really, I love the whole game he played tonight. And it's really like, if you, if you want to just say even over the next five, 10 years, what a perfect Damian Dotson game looks like, like this was, this was pretty close to it. Yeah, yeah, I agree. It, I was encouraged by how he played as well. And, you know, it was kind of like I was saying, what was this, two podcasts ago about Damian Dotson. He just kind of always goes out there and plays the game the right way. But unfortunately, if he's not making shots and stuff, he's not 
valuable. You know, nobody is because you can't be out there literally making it. You know, he was what? Oh, seven. Yeah. The last game, something like that. I mean, you can't do that and still stay on the floor. So it was good to see him kind of find his touch again and, and start to get to the, you know, his normal production or normal ish production of what he normally does out there when he's having good games. Uh, I definitely, I liked what I saw as well. You know, he just, he found his spots. He was hitting threes. Uh, he hit one from the corner. Like you said, he was rebounding well. It was just all around. I, I really enjoyed watching him play tonight. And hopefully we start seeing more of him again. I know we're going to touch on the injuries a little bit in the next segment, but he left with what was described as a contusion, like a, I think it was to his thigh, something like that. Contusion is just a fancy word for a bruise. So I think he just took a knee to the leg or something. Hopefully he'll be all right. Uh, but yeah, I, I hope that this was hopefully sort of an awakening for him again. And, and we're going to start seeing this Dotson more so than the Dotson that couldn't hit a barn for, you know, the last couple of games. Absolutely. And then I guess, I guess the last guy I want to touch on before we get into um, Hardaway a little bit more in the next segment um, is, is Lance Thomas, who hadn't played obviously the last couple of games since coming back from injury, uh, 15 minutes, two points, one and three from the field did have seven rebounds. And I don't know, this could be again, like, I don't, I never want to read too much into these numbers, especially when you play such a small sample size, it's hard to, um, I guess, boil it down to an individual player, but he was plus nine in this game. Only one other Nick had a positive plus minus, and it was, it was Trey Burke at plus two. And I, I will say like that did somewhat correlate with what I actually saw when he was on the floor and just having a really intelligent defender out there, because unlike so many guys on this team and not, not to harp on this too much, but he knows when to double team and how to recover and how to shade a little bit and take advantage of the fact that the NBA isn't um, particularly strict about zone defenses at this point in their existence. And there really aren't rules for that. But instead of hard doubling, like he'll, he'll take a step towards a defense, an offensive player. And he's experienced enough and savvy enough at this point to, to know how far to go to discourage a pass, but not to go so far that he lives, he leaves his guy wide open or it sets um, a sequence of scrambles in motion that results in a wide open shot. And I think that defensive intelligence that even having that one extra guy who really knows what they're doing in there made a world of difference. And obviously it, it didn't affect the final score. And I think you play them over a large enough sample size, like teams are still going to score virtually the same amount of points, but in terms of building confidence and I, I guess providing an example to the rest of the young guys on this team of what good defense is. I, I, I do think there's some intrinsic value in, in playing Lance Thomas a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I had actually, it, the lineup that Lance was successful in was such a surprise to me that I even made a point to write it down in my notes of like what the lineup was. It was Moutier, Hardaway Jr., Dotson, Hazonia, and Lance was the lineup out there at one point. And this was again, you know, Vonley had just picked up another foul. And he was in foul trouble. Cornette just kind of wasn't playing well, so they had him out. And short of those two, you didn't really have any other true bigs that you could throw out there tonight with Cantor out and with Mitchell Robinson still out and all that. So it was kind of, you know, dire straits where they just needed to try something different. And Lance is sort of their small ball four or five out there was was pretty good because I think Lance finally this year, at least based off what we saw earlier in the year, he's I think kind of finally lost a step a little bit to where he can't really guard. Like there was a stretch with the Knicks where you could feel confident that he could guard almost like two through five and, you know, at least do it reasonably well for possessions at a time or whatever. But 
I, I think that's sort of left him at this point. Like, I think his legs are starting to leave him a little bit because he's, you know, he's over 30 now. And he was never, it's not like he was ever a, a all-defense player to begin with. He was just kind of an above-average defender. And But I think tonight was just kind of that perfect matchup for him where as a small ball big out there, he was able to exploit, you know, the passing lanes. And like you said, just being smart about fronting his guys right and gambling but not gambling too much. And just in general, he he seemed to have, I agree, you know, he, he didn't really show up on the stat sheet that much, but he had a positive impact out there. Um, the, the only problem with Lance, and it always is, is that he can't really shoot the ball very well. I mean, he was one of three tonight. And, you know, that was basically it. And they, they weren't really relying on him to shoot, but you can't really have him out there for too, too long at a time just because having a player out there that isn't a humongous defensive uh, addition, you can't have, you know, them out there when they can't shoot the ball. So, but yeah, it was, it was good Lance minutes tonight it, to end that it, little uh, mini rant there. <laughs> it, it was, it was good Lance minutes, I thought. Um, and, and it was nice to see from him because he's been, pretty up and down this year with being watchable versus completely unwatchable. This is definitely like more than watchable. This is actually like he played like good basketball tonight, which was cool to see. Right. And yeah, he had to your point on him not being a shooter. I mean, obviously that's, that's known at this point, but his miss three and it was like one of those like obvious things, like where you haven't taken a shot in a game in, in about 10 games or like a couple of weeks. He, it was, it was, it was ugly. He, he like shot it in the middle of his forehead and just zero chance of going in. Anyways, on that note, we will take one final break, come back. We'll, we'll, we'll get you through, um, or we'll, we'll, we'll talk through rather the idea of Tim Hardaway, maybe sitting out a couple games injured or not, who could potentially replace him in the rotation and what the utility of that would be. We'll get into that next on Locked on Knicks. Welcome back one last time. Uh, first of all, I want to thank you for spending your weekend with us. That is just outstanding. I, I understand um, the dreary morning commute. You might um, be relatively podcast limited, not have too many options, and you're kind of you're kind of forced into it. But on the weekend, you're you're really making a conscious decision to to spend some time with us, and that is is a strange decision, but I really do respect it and I appreciate it. Gavin Shaw. Alex Wolf here with you on Locked On Knicks. Uh, let, let's talk about Tim Hardaway a little. So he goes out with what was um, reported by, I, I believe, I believe ESPN said it was cramps, and I think that was confirmed after the game. But it, it did look, and, and cramps sometimes do, um, a little more severe than that when it's on the court. Like, I think Breen actually had a comment saying, like, oh, that looks bad. And we were thinking this would be kind of the perfect excuse for the Knicks to maybe temporarily separate Tim Hardaway from the court for a little bit and and give his minutes to someone that could provide the Knicks a little bit of utility with them, Alex. Yeah, well, and we were just talking about this on the last episode when when Schwinney was on about, you know, Tim already has plantar fasciitis, which is a, a condition that can't be helped by anything but rest. And then tonight, you know, he he comes up grabbing his hamstring and it looked like it might've been a strain or, or a, you know, a pull or something along those lines. Apparently it was just a cramp, but either way, I mean, if he's, if he's feeling banged up, this is kind of the perfect time. We're actually only a few weeks away from the trade deadline now because they moved the trade deadline up to February 7th this year. So this is kind of the time that like it's now or never, if we're going to showcase a guy like Courtney Lee, 
So this might be a good time to get Courtney Lee in there instead of Hardaway in the starting lineup, give Lee some run, maybe show him off and potentially find someone to take him. Uh, I mean, that's just one of a number of options, though. But mostly I just I think that it would be wise to sit Tim down after this. I mean, even if it was just a cramp, why not give him some rest? Why not give him a shot to get healthy, which he presumably hasn't been in probably about a month? You know, given what we've seen with how he's played and all that, he's he seemed like he's hurt for about the last month or so. Like he's not as creative on offense. He's not driving as much. He's settling more for threes on the outside, more so than trying to get to the hoop as much as he was early in the season. So I think it could be beneficial to sit him down. My number one choice would probably be Courtney Lee, as I just said. But I, I don't know how you feel about that. I mean, what do you think about Lee versus some of the other options that are out there? Um, no, I'm I'm into the idea of Lee. And just to give you an idea on Hardaway in December, 18 points, three rebounds, three assists, but the, the shooting was was pretty awful across the board. 38% from the field, 35% from three, 84% from the line, and then this month down to 14, uh, at least going to tonight's game, down to 14 points, three rebounds, just one assist, 40% from the field, but shooting just 29% from three. So clearly, and I mean, I mean, he's had to carry a, a disproportionate load to his talent level all season, just given the nature of this Knicks team. But I'm, I'm 100% with you. I think he'd come back a much better player, even just sitting in five, ten games or so. And and there's no reason for the Knicks not to do it, because not only are they, I mean, what do you, you want to call it, tanking or not tanking, they are effectively on, on a path to lose a lot of games, and Hardaway playing or not playing isn't going to shift that. But I, I, I think, to your point, the giving Courtney Lee and, and marketing Courtney Lee is is a really good idea and i actually think it could be beneficial on the court at least compared to this iteration of hardaway because he is such a train wreck defensively like this was another game where he wasn't great off the ball he just got bullied on the ball at points and, and seems generally disinterested at that end courtney lee is a consummate professional he's going to defend his ass off um even even after sitting a bunch of games and he provides the same amount of shooting that hardaway does with some smart driving, and, and not only would it be a little bit more efficient, but he'd take less possessions up and he'd give more chances for guys like Knox, Dotson, whoever you want to say, to stretch their wings a little bit. And, I mean, and to your point that I, I think you made off air, it's it's an opportunity for the Knicks to maybe play Nilakina a little more. We spent like 15 minutes yesterday talking about what a Nilakina Moody backcourt would look like. You can try that out a little bit. You can get back to some of those earlier season lineups with both um, Nilakina Dotson and, and out there and maybe with Lee in the middle. Like that's like, I mean, theoretically, like you put out a group of Nilakina, Lee, Dotson, Vonley, Robinson. It's, it's going to be the worst offense in NBA history, but you actually have five potentially pretty solid defenders out there. So I think, I think it would be a window um, given some increased health across the roster for David Fisdale to experiment, to find different groups and a chance for Hardaway to get better. So I, I think it's kind of a win, 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 uh, a Michael Scottism uh, across the board. So I would, I'd certainly be interested in them resting him at least for a couple of games. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, to me, it's just, it's just a matter of like, it's what you said. Tim's not, it's not important to play him right now because you're not playing to win games. I mean, I've, I'm under no illusion that the Knicks would in any way get better by sitting Hardaway down because their their offense is just going to totally crater and they're going to become borderline unwatchable for a little bit on offense if Hardaway's not there because he really does. It goes underappreciated, I think, because people look at his percentages and stuff and say like, oh, he's trash, like he's not 
he's not good. Like, look at the like 40%, you know, under 40% that he's shooting. He's shooting like, but he is shooting, you know, even during that, you know, kind of off month of December, he was still shooting about 35% from three, which keeps his advanced shooting numbers up, like the true shooting percentage. But, it, you know, in general, I don't think it really matters if the, if the Knicks offense craters without him being there, because maybe you start featuring Knox on a few more plays per game, which is good for his development. Maybe you force it out of, if you get Frank in there, you force it out of Frank to become, you know, a, a more aggressive scoring option, which, He's shown in very limited bursts this year that when he's out there and he's playing with an edge that he can score, you know, when he's called upon to. So it might be good to explore that a little more or to get back to the point that we've already hit on like three times. I really think it would be beneficial to get Courtney Lee out there right now. This kind of gives you that perfect excuse to play Lee over Hardaway without it, you know, without the optics looking like it's a blatant tank move. You know, you can just be like, look. Hardaway's banged up. He's had all these little he's had all these little ailments recently and, and you don't want to, you know, potentially risk his long term health. So we're gonna take him out, put Lee in there, who's an established veteran, and hopefully Lee shows out, and then maybe you can, you know, find some sort of trade for him, be it, you know, by himself and hopefully not giving up any assets to to offload that second year of his contract, or potentially pair him with someone like Vonley if you trade Vonley to a contender and you know offload him that way but either way i i think perfect opportunity and i hope the knicks pounce on it i do have a distinct feeling that we just wasted a whole bunch of breath though and they probably are not because if they were gonna sit tim and let him get right health wise they probably would have already done it by now and they have not and fizdale's general uh thoughts on the matter seems to be to let guys like tough it out so to speak if they want to and hardaway always wants to so I don't know. I guess we'll see. But wishful thinking. Hopefully they'll sit Hardaway down and give other guys some run just to kind of experiment and maybe build some trade value. But we'll see what happens. Yeah, to, to be fair, on if, if, we, if you expand out Nick's history long enough, you could make the argument that any um, time we're positive on this podcast, we're just, we're just kind of kidding ourselves. So I, I think, I think this, was, this was a good opportunity to indulge ourselves a little bit. And, and even another positive of that is that if Hardaway – comes back and he is healthier and he rips off a couple of 25 point games down the stretch. Maybe it reminds another team of Hardaway's ability and the Knicks can get off his money with relative ease, even though I think some people who listen to this podcast and I, I'm happy to hear your arguments. Some don't, don't like the idea of trading Hardaway for nothing, but that is a discussion for another day for Alex Wolf. I am Gavin Shaw. Again, we can't thank you guys enough for listening. Uh, we have the second half of our interview with your boy Schwinnipu uh, tomorrow. Uh, it was a lot of fun. We get into the um, excess mailbag questions. We had a couple of good ones left. It was interested, interesting to get his perspective on it. I liked having a third person there. Um, it, it got us into a little bit, a little bit of a debate. So you'll hear that tomorrow. And then next week we'll be back talking the Sixers game. And then the Knicks go to uh, London to take on the Wizards, which will certainly be a joy. So enjoy the rest of your weekend. We will be back with you tomorrow and then again next week.